Acts chapter 2. As we begin, I just want to ask you, look, are you in this place tonight in need of a fresh move of the Holy Spirit? I hope that each of us can say amen. And if you can't, I hope you can by the end of the service. I believe that God is moving in our midst. I, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, Brother Martin, when we met earlier in the, in the park there, I just, I'm still amazed by what God was doing as he's telling me he's reading Acts. And I said, our church is literally going through Acts. And you, you know, God lines things up sometime. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that God, if you allow him, will line things up for you tonight. I believe that he is making a way. I believe that he's working healing. I believe that he's working deliverance. I believe that he's working salvation. I even believe that for somebody in the room tonight, myself included, he may be working a little bit of conviction. And you know what? Even when God disciplines us and wakes us up to something we need to change, it's a blessing. It's a gift. It's something to, to celebrate that God cares enough to redirect us and draw us back to himself. So we're going to begin Acts chapter 2 tonight. We're going to look at the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost upon the disciples. Last week we talked about Acts chapter 1 and how Jesus, as he ascended, met with his disciples and they wanted to know Jesus. When are you going to establish Israel? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and they wanted to know the times and Jesus didn't rebuke the question. He rebuked the worry about the time. He said, don't worry about the timing. Don't worry about the timing. Just know that I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to all to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples were told, plant it. Wait right there in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit arrives. Wait and don't move. Don't take another step until the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. So in Acts chapter 2, we find the disciples all together in one place, the Bible tells us. They're there together in one place, and we see in chapter 1, they've dedicated themselves to prayer. They're praying until God sends this promised Holy Spirit. Jesus had told us that the Spirit would be a comforter. He'd be an advocate, would be a source of peace, would guide us, convict us, and empower us to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I want to talk about tonight is if we're going to encounter the Holy Spirit, and I believe if you're going to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are going to become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But I do believe that God promises us that you receive the Spirit upon accepting Christ, but that the Spirit can, you can be baptized in the Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and receive a fresh anointing of the Spirit. You'll be open. But hear me out. This is not asking God to send the Spirit again. This is being open yourself to the Spirit's moving in your life. I don't believe that God holds back on His Holy Spirit. I don't believe that He holds back on sending the Spirit to fill you up and to empower you for witness, to convict you, and to comfort you. I do believe this. I believe that if you have encountered the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. Not maybe. You absolutely will be changed. We're going to talk tonight about the impact and intentionality of the Holy Spirit. That if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have encountered the Holy Spirit. And then if you've encountered the Holy Spirit, then you have, in fact, begun a transformation that God will see through to completion. I believe that the church at times has tried to operate without the Holy Spirit, and so therefore they have not operated. We need to be moved by the Holy Spirit, and I believe tonight that if we will allow ourselves that as the disciples did, you can experience, experience the Spirit tonight. My prayer is at the end of this service that God pours out His Spirit upon us. And I pray that firmly, believing 
that if we are open, God will pour out His Spirit. I remember as a kid, uh, I had several fireworks stories, and if you, if you know me very well, you'll know that if there's anything that had danger involved, I was probably, uh, I was probably messing with it, and, and we would play with fireworks a lot. And I can remember as a kid, the first fireworks experience, we're at the beach, and we went and we got these, these packets, and I don't even know how we got them thinking back on it, because me and my cousin, we were pretty young, but we got one of those boxes full of fireworks. You know the ones where like you start off with the little Dudley ones that you kind of just, they're a little bitty and you light them and they kind of just poof little colorful smoke uh, flumes, you know? They're just not much to them. And we began and we decided, you know what? We're going to work our way up. And so we started to light the little ones first and we're watching the color and the smoke. We're kind of dancing around in it, you know, like little kids do. And we're saving the biggest one for last. So we set it down on the ground and we're sitting there lighting it and we're waiting and we didn't really know what it did, but we knew that it was big. So that meant it had to be very explosive. And so we light it and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And it kind of goes. And I remember being so mad. So I was like, is, is that what it was supposed to do? Like that was a, a serious letdown. You see, we, we thought that this fire was going was to be big, and then it was a dud, and we thought, well, maybe that's what it's supposed to do. And I want to share with you tonight, listen, if that's your experience with the Holy Spirit, you've not experienced the Holy Spirit. If you've accepted Christ into your life and you expected something major, well, let me tell you something. Something major was supposed to occur. Hear me. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and His Spirit indwelled you, something should have changed. Your life, your, your desire to be in God's word, your desperation for more of God, your sin in your life, your love for the Lord, it should have grown, it should have changed. Something should have happened. Something should be happening right now. You know I grew up in the Pentecostal church and I'm thankful for it, but I want to tell you something else we're going to learn about the Spirit tonight. I remember my second fireworks story. As a teenager... You thought I was going to say it happened in the church, and that would have been fairly accurate as well. But as a teenager, we were playing with these things called Roman candles. And we had a friend that was um, not so smart. What we would do is we would take these Roman candles and we would actually light them and fire them at each other. If you know what a Roman candle is, it's like a, it's a long tubular firework kind of that you just, you light it and it literally just goes like, a, like kind of a little missile. And we would sit there and we would shoot the Roman candles at each other. And my friend that, I won't say his name. Actually, let's, let's give him a name. Uh, we'll call him Jim. But, but Jim was not his actual name. I just don't want to call him out. He might be watching on Facebook. But he wasn't very smart. And so what we did was we decided we would give Jim an M80. If you know what that is, if you know your fireworks, it's a little bitty firework like this. And it goes, and if you have it in your hand, it's going to burn you. And so we decided we'll give Jim an M80 instead of a Roman candle. Yes, thank you, thank you. It, it is literally, it's going to hurt if you hold it. And so we give Jim an M80 instead of a Roman candle. He doesn't know the difference, and so he's holding this little thing in his hand, and he thinks it's just a mini Roman candle, and he's pointing it at other people, and he lights it, and it literally, a few seconds later, you guess it, it just goes, and Jim's cussing and hollering, and it blew his, his hand off, and he had burns on his hand, and we were terrible people. But my point is, My point is, when you took the Roman candle, you aimed it, and you fired in a certain direction. It was explosive, it was impactful, but it was also intentional, headed in a certain direction. And what I want to show you tonight in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit is impactful. 
You don't encounter the Spirit without being changed, but it's also intentional. The Spirit of God heads in a certain direction, and I would argue it's always the same direction to the glory of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Messiah. The Spirit is impactful and intentional, and when we encounter the Holy Spirit, it should be headed in a certain direction. That direction is glorifying the Lord. So let's dive into Acts chapter 2, knowing that I am promising you tonight, that I believe the Lord is promising you tonight, that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. Let me say that again. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost was 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So 50 days have passed since Jesus has been crucified. He has ascended into heaven, and the disciples are all together in one place. And the Bible says that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hear this. Have you, have you ever been to church and you left and you thought, and someone, if someone were to ask you, hey, did you experience God at your church tonight? Have you ever had a moment or a night where you, you left and you, you honestly could not answer that question with, yes, I absolutely did? You don't have to say it out loud. Don't embarrass me. But I've had those moments where I went into God's house and I left and I felt like I was not changed. I felt like I did not encounter the Spirit. I felt like I did not encounter growth or transformation. I felt like God, God's presence didn't speak to me in any, any real or, or tangible way. And what I'm telling you is, look, when the Spirit shows up, it is tangible. You know it. I promise you, the disciples who waited all this time, think about it, they're waiting. Jesus said, listen, park it, don't move, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. Listen, I have no doubt in my mind that when the Spirit arrived, those disciples did not walk out of that door and wonder whether or not the Spirit had shown up. There was no question that what Jesus had promised had come to fruition this day. And I want to tell you that the God of the Bible is the God that is present with you right now. He does not, has not, will not change. And so if his spirit is in a real and tangible way at Pentecost, his spirit will show up in a real and tangible way today. The Bible says there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The word is pneuma. It literally means spirit. It was the word for God's spirit showing up in the wind, That's the sound of a rushing wind in the room that filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. In the Bible, when we hear about fire, most often it's represented as a purifying, as a cleansing it gives you this, it's this idea of holiness that the divided tongues of fire rested on each one of them. They were being purified and, and cleansed and being let know that God was establishing this place as, as holy ground. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, now think of this. They're in a room together. It's about 120 of them, and they're worshiping together. And, and the wind, the sound of a mighty wind comes through the place, and tongues of fire come upon their heads. They begin to speak in these other tongues. But, but what's so interesting to me is that what was noticeable, what was tangible for the outside world was not the wind. It was not the fire. 
Remember what Jesus told them they were going to be. They were going to be witnesses. The reason that the outside world began to come around them, verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, so there were lots of folks that were here for the, Pas- for the Pentecost festival, and they're in Jerusalem, were dwelling Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound of the, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Listen, the witness was carried out by the men that were in the room, leaving the room, the men and women leaving the room, and they were speaking in other tongues, and they heard them in their own languages. God in Acts chapter 2 is giving a gift of the Holy Spirit that would break down language and communication barriers and let people know that what these folks were speaking were the movement of God in their midst. And so they, it says the multitudes came together hearing them speak in their own language and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all the, these who are speaking Galileans? And so how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? The Bible tells us that there were 15 language groups represented. 15 language groups, and they all heard what the disciples and those that were in the room at Pentecost were saying in their own language. We see the response in verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Church, I want you to hear this today. God moves intentionally and he is impactful. The wind, the fire, the speaking in tongues. There was no questioning if the Spirit had arrived. And what you begin to see, it begins with 120 in a room. Within moments, it becomes multitudes in the street. And if we see Peter deliver a sermon at the end of it, he gives a call to repentance and to be baptized. And we read in verse number 41 that those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There is a world out there that needs Jesus Christ. We begin to walk through town before the service and, and I'm telling you, look, you walk through, I, I guarantee you, you encounter probably, I would, I would argue as much as 70%, if not more, people that you encounter on that street need Jesus Christ. They are hurting. They are desperate. They need to know who Jesus is. And sometimes I feel like we have become a church that doesn't believe that God can work in those people's lives. Hear me on this. Do you know that some of the most desperate people in those streets are not the ones that you would expect? Not the drug addicts or the alcoholics. They need Jesus too. But do you know that the folks that you encounter in the street that are wealthy, that have much to do, that own businesses, they need Jesus as much as anyone else? And if you're like me, I'll be honest, I'm intimidated sometimes walking through those streets. I told uh, uh, Phyllis and my wife and those that were outside earlier, I said, you know, tonight I was handing out these cards to invite people to church, and I, I had these two young ladies that were uh, college age, and they just, they just straight up rejected me. And, you know, i, I got to be honest, I, in my pride and my vanity as a, as a 28, almost 29-year-old man, I, I was stung a little. I was a little intimidated after that. I'm walking through town, and I'm like, I, I'm headed to another area of town, and, and I'm going through, and I'm like, oh, man, like, it hurts when people reject you. But let me explain something to you. If you know Jesus Christ and you are full of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing to be intimidated by. 
You carry the spirit of the living God inside of you. He will empower you to share witness. And listen, if they reject you, that's fine. God is still working and he will work in his due time. But I promise you, don't stop. There are people that need to know this message. Listen to what Peter did here. At the speaking in tongues and the sounds and the, the, the big to-do that happened at Pentecost, some were amazed and others were perplexed. And they asked, what does this mean? But others were mocking and asked them if they were drunk. And so Peter, full of the Holy Spirit now, delivers a sermon He delivers a sermon, and what he says is, this is what has been promised in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is impactful, but the Holy Spirit is also intentional. And Peter begins by saying, listen, this is not something that God just cooked up in this moment. The Spirit of God has been, uh, do you know when the first time you hear the Holy Spirit in the the Bible? It's Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit hovered across the waters of the deep. What they experienced at Pentecost and what I'm inviting you to experience tonight is is something that is from eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And listen, church, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I believe we've got to stop going and living as a body of Christ that speaks about God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the times with Peter and the disciples, they walked with Jesus. We talked about it Thursday night, but they walked with Jesus and the way that they knew the Spirit was through Jesus. But what Jesus says is when I ascend, I'm going to send my comforter, the Holy Spirit, and now you're going to know Jesus through the Spirit. And so it may be uncomfortable, it may be be life-changing, it may be convicting, but the only way you know who God is is through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit cannot be ignored, and in fact, the the one sin in the Bible that it says is most damning, sin's not not on a scale, right? Sin is sin, but the Bible says that that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's unforgivable. And yet, I'm looking at a church, not this church, the church at large, that is absolutely guilty in large part of quenching the Spirit. Why? Why? Because we're worried about filling our seats. We're worried about being liked. We're worried about being accepted. We're worried about fitting in with the churches around us. But let me tell you something. The birth of the church is Acts chapter 2. The church started with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and it will come to completion which in eternity. The kingdom come by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live and we move and we have our being in Christ through the Holy Spirit. It cannot be ignored. And the Spirit moves with intention. Peter says, listen, this isn't something God just cooked up. This is something God has promised through his prophets. This is is a promise that has been made. He goes to the prophet Joel and he quotes from Joel in the Old Testament. And he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Moving to verse 18, he says, In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Moving to verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God not only extending salvation to you. This is God extending sanctification to you, empowerment to you. 
He says right here that when he pours out his spirit, they shall prophesy. Hear me out, I'm the preacher and I'll get up here and preach as long as God calls me to, but you, sitting in those seats, God can fill you with his spirit and you can prophesy. He's the same God. He can give you a word right now. You can walk out on that street and he can give you a word for someone that you meet. But let me just tell you that if you're not even walking out there and you're not asking for the spirit, don't expect it. Don't expect it. He's intentional. He fulfills prophecy. Peter says this is something God has been working on. This is something God has been doing. This is something God has promised in the prophet Joel. The Spirit is intentional. Look at the speaking in tongues. Hear me out. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and again, I'm so thankful for that experience. When we understand Scripture and we think of speaking in tongues, I want to say first that speaking in tongues is real. If you don't agree with that, it's here. It's here. So hear me. What are the odds? You believe God heals? Yes? You believe God delivers? Believe God saves? Why do you believe that? The Bible says it. It's in the Word of God. He does it. You've seen it, maybe. Amen. You feel it in your heart. So if we know that God heals, delivers, saves from the Bible, then God said that when He pours out His Spirit that they spoke in tongues. And Paul says later in 1 Corinthians that they are speaking in tongues. And what in the world makes you think God has stopped today? Tough. That may not be our background. It may, be something, may not be something we've experienced. I know for a lot of people they say, it's scary when it happens. I get it. I grew up in it. I understand. Trust me. I understand. It's in the Bible. But I want to be clear. Acts chapter 2 says that when they spoke in tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, that those that were there heard them speaking in their own language. It was a known language. Now I'll add to that, because what I have experienced is not, if you've ever been in a, in a Pentecostal or charismatic church, you've heard speaking in tongues, it's usually not a known language. It's what's called glossolalia. And I'll add to that because 1 Corinthians, Paul says that they are speaking in a prayer language that was in utterances or groanings that could not be understood. And he actually says in 1 Corinthians that uh, don't covet speaking in tongues over prophecy because prophecy is for the edification of the whole church. Speaking in tongues is for the believer. He also says that if you're going to speak in tongues, that interpretation has to be made. So what I'm telling you is, and, and I said this in an interview for a church once, I, I said, uh, they asked about me, and I, they knew I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. They said, do you believe in speaking in tongues? I said, it's in my figuring it, I, I said, yes, but it's in my figuring it out cabinet. And so just a, a note of theology here, I, I think it's okay to have a figuring it out cabinet. I know it's real, because the Bible says so. My heroes in the faith. They do it. I know it's real, but I know there's something in Acts 2 that feels different than 1 Corinthians. I don't know if it's a prayer language and speaking in tongues. I don't know if Paul's talking about the same things. I, I don't know, but I do know that the Holy Spirit continues to work in this way. And I know that in Acts 2, speaking in tongues was the Spirit impacting the community in an intentional way. 
You see, when you go out in the street, and there's a lot of people that do it today, there's a lot of uh, TV preachers and mega church pastors that, that do it, and I don't want to knock them too much, but, but I'll say this, uh, they, they want to talk about Jesus, and they'll talk about Jesus, and talk about Jesus, they'll fill their churches, but, but transformation is just not happening. See, Peter could have stood up and given a sermon, I could give a sermon right now. And I could fill it with eloquence and the the best words I can think of. I could put interesting stories and gotcha phrases and humor and jokes. But if it's not with the Spirit, it means nothing. You may like it. It may encourage you. You may leave here on top of the world. But if I'm not preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can forget it. Transformation is not happening. So what the Bible is telling us is they're speaking in other tongues, and in those speaking in tongues, the people around them were impacted by what was happening. They knew something about what they're doing. It's of God. I think it's so interesting that they knew that they were Galileans, and and we can tell if we look at Peter's story in the Gospels, Galileans had a very distinct accent. You know this because Peter, when he was denying Christ, he was trying to pretend he didn't know him. Someone said, that guy's a Galilean. He spoke with a distinct accent, but when they heard them, they're speaking in their own languages. The Spirit is breaking down barriers of communication. The Spirit is fulfilling Scripture. But finally, there's intentionality in the Holy Spirit, in that the objective is always the same. Peter delivers the sermon, and he ends it by saying this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter's very first sermon in the birth of the church is unique. It's a wonderful example in my opinion. If you were to look at it, we're not going to go through the whole thing tonight, but what Peter, in essence, says is this is God fulfilling Scripture. This is what he said the whole time. He pointed to this Jesus, and he doesn't hold back. He looks at the group in the room, many of whom had stood by as they crucified our Lord. He doesn't hold back. He says, the Jesus that you crucified, God has made him Lord and Savior. It was all building up to that. You see, church, the Spirit is not entertainment or amusement. The Spirit doesn't uh, come upon us so that we can show that we are holier than thou. The Spirit does not come upon us so that our church can look like it's lively and exciting. The Spirit is not for entertainment. The Spirit is intentional with the objective, always the same, to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To the glory of God the Father. It always, the Spirit, and you should never call it it the way I just did, the Spirit always points to Jesus Christ. Always. Always. And so if you want to ask yourself, is this the Spirit moving me, or is this just my own Spirit, is this just my flesh moving me? If you want to ask yourself, a good gauge for that is, does it bring glory to Christ? Does it point to Jesus? If not, it's not the Spirit. It may be some other Spirit, but it's not the Spirit. The objective is always to make known with certainty that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Messiah. So church, I want to invite you tonight. I believe, I believe that God wants to pour out the Holy Spirit upon His church. I believe that we've operated outside the Spirit for too long. And I believe that Peter has given a surefire way to experience the Spirit. 
in verse number 38. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart at what Peter had said. And said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? Church, I want to offer you tonight that if, if you're struggling, and I know many of us are, if you feel like joy just can't be found, if you feel confused and lost, listen, I, I grew up, I grew up in the church. I can't count the amount of times that I went to that altar over and over and over again. I asked God to save me. I asked Jesus into my life. But I was not open to the Spirit. And I would feel emotion. I would get excited as God made me cry that night and I would feel the Spirit's presence for a little bit and I would, I would be in tears or I would be dancing in the worship service or I'd be holding up my arms or I would be laughing and, and crying and, and enjoying the fellowship with my, my church family. But the Spirit was trying to direct me a certain way and the, the honest truth is I didn't want to go where God was taking me. And hear me tonight, look, you could have grown up in the church, you could have been to the altar a thousand times. The evangelism technique that Doug and I learned the other week, it said that, that, uh, that he, grace was a free gift. Heaven was a free gift that was offered. It could not be deserved or earned, but that, that humankind, that we were sinners and who could not save ourselves, but that, that God, God was both merciful. He didn't want to punish us for his, his, our sins, but he was also just, and so punishment had to be delivered for the penalty of our sins. And so therefore, he sent Jesus, fully God and fully man, who died for our sins, rose from the grave, paid the penalty of our sins, and purchased our salvation forever to be accepted by faith, which is not head knowledge. I know that George Washington existed. I believe that he is real, but I have no experience of him. I don't know him. Faith is not head knowledge. It's not a temporary fix. If you're in an airplane and it's going down and you say, Lord, I want to experience your presence to get me off this plane. Get me home safe. And you get off the plane and you never think about God again. That's temporary faith. Faith is trusting in Christ alone for salvation. It's long-lasting. It's submitting faith. As a kid, I know the problem. Looking back, I was, I was placing this temporary faith in Christ because my schoolwork was hard or my girlfriend dumped me or the situation of life was just getting a lot to bear or the, the sermon moved me that day and I would go to the altar and I was placing this temporary faith in God like, God, I want you to be here for me, for what I want, but I don't want to submit to your authority. The Spirit was trying to lead me in the intentionality of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is a lot like when I go into Walmart. I hate Walmart. You can say amen to that. I hate Walmart. When I go into Walmart, I know one thing I'm getting. I'm going in with intentionality. I'm getting out. You send me in a Bass Pro. I'll be in there all day. The Spirit is not trying to have you go whichever way you want to and fro. Listen, when you submit to Jesus Christ, you submit to His intentionality, intentionality to His intentions, to His direction, to His authority. 
Jesus is not just trying to be your Savior. He's trying to be your Lord. So I'm going to be up front with you tonight. I invite you, as I close in prayer, I invite you first to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're accepting Christ, I want to warn you tonight. I'm not trying to make a bunch of converts. The Spirit has led me tonight to invite you to be disciples. I'm not counting how many people come to the altar. I'm counting on the Spirit to submit lives to His authority. To where He directs. So as I invite you to this tonight, I want you to see that Peter said, that the, the folks that were there said, brothers, what shall we do in Peter's first words? He said, if you want to accept the Spirit, if you want to experience this, then repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hear that. Peter doesn't say, maybe you'll receive it, perhaps you'll receive it. He said, if, if you repent, you get baptized. He will forgive your sins and fill you with the Spirit. And so I extend it to you tonight. The Bible says that from this, 3,000 souls were added to their number. And chapter 2 ends by saying that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you will submit to the Spirit tonight, you will be forgiven of your sins. The gift of the Spirit will be given to you. And I believe that our God is a miracle-working God. Folks were being saved, forgiven, signs and wonders were being done, but as a pastor of a church, let me tell you what I find most supernatural about what the Spirit does in this chapter. The Bible says they met together every day, eating together, sharing all that they had in common. If there's one thing I've learned in the process of ministry, people are messy. I love you, but messy. The Spirit of God draw, drew them together, made them love one another, fellowship with one another, eat together, and share all that they had. The world is looking for you to be that example. I believe that one of the greatest things the Spirit wants to do in the church today is united. Hear me. We fight with one another. We bicker with one another. Churches can't get along. The Spirit unites the believers. And as I go out there and we invite people to church and you go out there and you invite people to church, listen, I think the number one reason folks aren't going to come is because they've seen a church that's not filled with the Spirit. A church that fights with each other doesn't love each other and doesn't love them. I invite you tonight to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Spirit will be given to you. Lord, 
I need you right now. We need you right now. Father, I, I believe that we are looking at a church, especially in the Western world, that has lost its way. But you are the way, the truth, and the life. So God, we come to you tonight to submit to the power of your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, with the small group in this room, if we will humble ourselves before you and pray, I believe with all my heart, Lord God, that you will work wonders in our midst. Pour out your Spirit on us gathered here. I pray, Lord God, for the person right now whose heart is at unrest. Lord, for the person that's fighting every word that was just said. For the person who has found false comfort in their own works or merit. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit first in conviction on their hearts, Lord God. That we would be drawn to repentance. Heavenly Father, I pray over this group of believers, Lord God, that we would experience your spirit. Come upon us with wind and fire, Lord God. Give us the gifts of the Spirit, Lord God, that we may bear fruit of the Spirit, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you would give someone a word tonight to be shared. God, I pray that you would heal in our midst tonight. God, I pray for the person in the room tonight that has the shackles of the enemy holding them down. They may not even realize it, but the enemy is pulling them left and right, Lord God. I claim victory in the name of Jesus Christ tonight. Deliver us from evil, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we claim victory in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, our living Lord and Savior. Lead us in worship. God, I pray in this next song, Lord God, not a person here would miss the power of your Spirit. Pour your Spirit out upon us as we worship.